We now come to questions to the Prime Minister. I will call the Prime Minister to answer the engagement's questions. Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Forgive me, Mr Speaker. Uh, yesterday was International Nurses Day, and I know that the whole House would want to thank the nurses and also the care staff and key workers for their tireless work in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mr Speaker, sadly, 144 NHS workers and 131 social care workers' deaths have been reported as involving COVID-19. Our thoughts are with their families and friends. And, and yesterday, Mr Speaker, this House learnt of the tragic death of Belly Mujinga. The fact that she was abused for doing her job is utterly appalling. My thoughts, and I'm sure the thoughts of the whole House, are with her family. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. We now go across to Ruth Edwards. Ruth Edwards. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Green investments generated the highest returns in the recovery from the 2008 financial crisis. As we restart our economy, will my right honourable friend commit to prioritising investment in low carbon infrastructure, such as the electric vehicle charge point network and renewable energy production, which will also help the UK meet its net zero target by 2050? Prime Minister. Yes, Mr Speaker, and in to encourage the take-up of electric vehicles, uh, we are uh, putting a further £1 billion into uh, EV infrastructure across the country uh, to prevent range anxiety uh, for those who use EVs. I now call the Leader of the Opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in thanking our nurses and all those on the front line uh, and send my condolences to all of the families um, of those that have died of coronavirus, uh, including um, Bailey Majinga, as the Prime Minister referenced, um, who a ticket officer who we learnt this week had died from COVID-19 in awful circumstances. Mr Speaker, in his speech on Sunday, the Prime Minister said that we need to rapidly reverse the awful epidemic in our care homes. But earlier this year, and until the 12th of March, the government's own official advice was, and I'm quoting from it, it remains very unlikely that people receiving care in a care home will become infected. Yesterday's ONS figures showed that at least 40% of all deaths from COVID-19 were in care homes. Does the Prime Minister accept that the government was too slow to protect people in care homes? Prime Minister. Uh, no, Mr Speaker, and it wasn't true that the uh, advice say, said that. And actually, uh, we brought the lockdown in uh, care homes ahead of the, of the general lockdown. And uh, what we've seen is a concerted action plan to tackle what has unquestionably been uh, an appalling epidemic in care homes. And uh, a huge exercise in testing is going on. A further £600 million I can announce today for infection control in care homes. And uh, yes, it is absolutely true that the number of uh, casualties has been too high. But uh, I can tell the House, as I, as I told the Honourable Gentleman, right Honourable Gentleman, uh, last week and indeed this week, uh, the number of outbreaks is down 
and the number of uh, fatalities in care homes is now well done. There is much more to do, but we are making progress, Mr Speaker. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I'm surprised the Prime Minister um, queries the advice of his own government up till the 12th of March. I do, of course, welcome uh, any fall in the recorded numbers, and he's right to reference that. But the Prime Minister must still recognise the numbers are still very high. The Daily Telegraph this week carried the following quote from a cardiologist. We discharged known, suspected and unknown cases into care homes which were unprepared, with no formal warning that patients were infected, no testing available and no PPE to prevent transmission. We actively seeded this into the very population that was most vulnerable. Does the Prime Minister accept that the cardiologist is right about this? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I have the utmost respect for uh, all our medical profession who are doing an, an extraordinary job in very difficult circumstances. But what I can tell uh, the House is that actually the number of discharges from hospitals into, into care homes went down uh, in March and April. And we had a, uh, a system of testing uh, people uh, going into uh, care homes. And that uh, testing is now being ramped up across uh, all the 15,000 care homes in this country. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I want to probe the figures the Prime Minister has given us a little bit further. The ONS records the average number of deaths in care homes each month. For the last five years, the average for April has been just over 8,000. This year, the number of deaths in care homes for April was a staggering 26,000. That's three times the average, 18,000 additional deaths this April. Using the government's figures, only 8,000 are recorded as COVID deaths. That leaves 10,000 additional and unexplained care home deaths this April. Now, I know the government must have looked into this. So can the Prime Minister give us the government's views on these unexplained deaths? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, coronavirus is an appalling disease which afflicts some groups far more than others. I think the whole country understands, and in particular the elderly. And he's right to draw attention, uh, as I've said, to the tragedy that has been taking place in care homes. The Office of National Statistics is responsible for producing the data that they have. The government has also produced uh, data which not only shows that there has been, uh, a, as I say, a terrible epidemic in care homes, but uh, since the uh, COVID, uh, since the Care Homes Action Plan began, we are seeing an appreciable and substantial reduction, not just in the number of outbreaks, but also in the number of deaths. And I want to stress to the House and also to the country that solving the problem in care homes is going to be absolutely critical. Getting the R down, not just in care homes, but across the country, is going to be absolutely critical to our ability to move forward as a nation with the stepped programme that I announced on Sunday. We must fix it, and we will. The Prime Minister says that solving the problem in care homes is crucial, but that can only happen if the numbers are understood. Uh, and therefore, I was disappointed that the, that the Prime Minister doesn't have an answer to the pretty obvious question as to what are those 10,000 unexplained deaths? Mr Speaker, yesterday, the overall figures given by the government of the press conference for those that have died from uh, COVID-19 was 32,000 
692, each one a tragedy. For many weeks, the government has compared the UK number against other countries. Last week, I showed the Prime Minister his own slide, showing that the UK now has the highest death total in Europe and second highest in the world. A version of this slide has been shown at the number 10 press conference every day since the 30th of March. That's seven weeks. Yesterday, the government stopped publishing the international comparison and the slide is gone. Why? Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, as, as, as he knows uh, very well, uh, the UK has been going through an unprecedented, once-in-a-century uh, epidemic, and he seeks to make uh, comparisons with other countries, which uh, I am advised, which I am advised, are premature, because the correct, the correct and final way of making these comparisons uh, will be when we have all the excess death totals uh, for all the relevant countries. We do not yet have that data. Now, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to uh, try to uh, pretend to the House that the figures, when they are finally confirmed, are anything other than stark and uh, deeply, deeply horrifying. This has been an appalling epidemic. What I can tell the House is that we are getting those numbers down, the numbers of deaths are coming down, the numbers of hospital admissions are coming down. Thanks to the hard work of the British people in reducing the R, Mr Speaker, and reducing those numbers of fatalities, we are now in a position to make some small, modest steps uh, to begin uh, to come out of some of the very restrictive measures that we've had. I think people do understand uh, what we're trying to do as a country. And as for the international comparisons that he seeks to draw now, I think he will have to, he will have to contain uh, his impatience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm baffled. It's not me seeking to draw the comparisons. These are the government slides that have been used for seven weeks to reassure the public. Um, and the problem with the Prime Minister's answer is it's pretty obvious that for seven weeks when we weren't the highest number in Europe, they were used for comparison purposes. As soon as we hit that unenviable place, they've been dropped. Uh, and last week he quoted in defence uh, Professor Spiegelhalter. What Professor Spiegelhalter said at the weekend was this, and we need to think about it. We should use other countries to try and learn why our numbers are so high. Um, and so dropping the comparisons means dropping the learning, and that's the real risk. I want to ask the Prime Minister now about the changes that are coming to effect today. A real concern for many people is childcare. I want to quote a mother of a young child. I apologise that it's a little lengthy, but it reflects the queries that all members of this House will have been getting. She says this, as Boris said in his speech, people are encouraged to go back to work, meaning my partner, as he works in construction. My partner has explained to his boss this can't happen because we've got no childcare. He also rang the nursery, but they're not open. I work as well, but my boss is having none of it. I hope I can get some advice. Me and my partner have been so stressed all day. What advice would the Prime Minister give her? Prime Minister. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Just on his, uh, his earlier point about uh, not learning from other countries, nothing could be further from the truth. We are watching intently what is happening uh, in other countries, and it is very notable that in some other countries where relaxations have been introduced, there is the signs of the R going up again. And that's a very clear warning to us not to proceed uh, too fast 
uh, or too reckless. And I hope the people, I hope the country uh, does understand that. On the specific point that he rightly raises about uh, people's anxieties about going back to work when they don't have uh, adequate childcare, I think I was very clear uh, both with him and uh, with the House earlier in the week that insofar as people may not be able to go back to work because they don't have the childcare that they need, then their employers must be understanding. And, if, and, and, and it is clearly, as I said, an impediment, it's a barrier to your ability to go back to work if you don't have childcare. If, I'd be very happy to look at the specific case that he raises if there's anything more that we can do to, to shed light on the matter. Kirsten. I'm grateful to the Prime Minister for uh, indicating a look into that uh, particular case. It's one, I think, of, of very many. Uh, the Prime Minister is asking the country to support decisions that will affect millions of lives. These are not easy decisions. I recognise that. They're very difficult, balanced decisions that the Prime Minister and the Government has to make. After the confusion of the last few days, gaining public confidence in them is crucial. Crucial. The Prime Minister says his decisions were and I quote, driven by the science, the data and public health. So to give the public confidence in the decisions, can the Prime Minister commit to publishing the scientific advice that the decisions were based on? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, all uh, sage advice is published in due courses, as the right honourable gentleman uh, knows. And uh, let me be absolutely clear with the House that sage has been involved in every stage of, and uh, our scientists and our, uh, our medical officers have been involved in every stage of uh, preparing this strategy. And I want to remind the House that what we are doing is entirely conditional and provisional. Uh, the UK has made uh, a huge amount of progress. The people of this country have worked incredibly hard to get VR down. We cannot now go back to, to square one. We can't risk a second outbreak and we will do everything to avoid that. I think uh, that actually when they look at what we're, we're, we're advocating as the way forward, the stepped process that we have set out, I think people can see uh, exactly what we are trying to do as a country and they can see that everybody is still required to obey the social distancing laws, the social distancing rules. And I'm, the common sense of the British people got us through that first phase of this disease. I'm absolutely confident they will get us through the next as well. We're going across to Ludlow to Philip Dunn. Philip Dunn. My right hon. Friend, the Prime Minister, is well aware of the impact of air pollution on health outcomes, particularly affecting those with respiratory diseases like COVID-19. Will he therefore reaffirm his commitment to tackling global emissions and the COP26 Global Climate Conference to help protect our people and our planet in the future? Minister. Yes, and I thank my right honourable friend uh, for what he does to uh, champion the environment and the cause of reducing CO2 emissions. Alas, we've had to postpone the COP26 summit in, that was to have taken place, as he knows, in Glasgow at the end of this year. But our uh, enthusiasm, uh, our determination to get to net zero by 2050 remains undiminished. We now go across to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I begin by thanking all our nurses for their efforts in keeping us safe and looking after us and applaud yesterday as the International Nurses Day. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister, in response to my questioning, noted the ability of the governments of all four nations to come together and to deliver a very clear message for our people. 
Events on Sunday could not have been more disastrous from this government. The Prime Minister has made confusion costly. Devolved administration shut out. Widespread confusion amongst the public and a total disregard from this government for workers' safety. Many sadly have seen the images of London buses being packed this morning. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister accept that the clear message in Scotland is stay home to protect the NHS to save lives? Prime Minister. Uh, and Mr Speaker, indeed, uh, the, the message uh, throughout the country is, of course, that you should stay at home if you can, and, and unless, and, uh, unless the specific circumstances that we've outlined uh, apply. But I, I must say, I don't accept the characterisation of the cooperation uh, that we've had across all four nations that uh, the leader of the SNP um, makes. Uh, in my experience, and it's been intense, uh, it's, been, it's been going on for days and days and weeks and weeks, and actually I think if you look at the totality of the measures that we're taking as a country, uh, there is much more uh, that unites us than, uh, than divides us, and we will go forward together. Go back across to Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, the reality is that the Prime Minister has failed to deliver a clear message and he didn't address the point about London buses being packed this morning. The Prime Minister is threatening progress made against the spread of this virus by the general public who are following the advice to stay at home. The Prime Minister is putting workers' safety at risk by calling on those who can't work at home to go to their jobs without any guidance on health and safety. Only last Monday, the Health Secretary launched a test trace app trial. On Sunday, the Prime Minister appeared to leapfrog any success with that by announcing easing of restrictions. Before any lockdown easing, and to avoid undermining the progress made so far, the Prime Minister must make sure that there are sufficient levels of testing available and the ability to test, trace, isolate is fully in operation. Why is the Prime Minister throwing weeks of progress against this virus into jeopardy, undermining the work of our outstanding NHS. Prime Minister. Uh, well, M Mr Speaker, he raises a point about London uh, buses, which is quite right, and uh, I don't want to see crowding on, uh, on mass transit or public transport in uh, our capital or anywhere else, and we're working very actively uh, with TfL uh, to ensure that uh, what we do is we have more capacity, we discourage people uh, from going uh, to work during the peak and that the operators, in particular uh, TfL, lay on uh, particularly more tubes, uh, more tube trains uh, when those are necessary throughout the day and uh, a huge amount of work is being done. We also want to see proper marshalling at stations to prevent crowding of trains. I, I must say that uh, on his point about test, track and trace, uh, test, track and trace is going to be a huge operation for this entire entire country and I think actually he should pay tribute to the work of all those, those hundreds of thousands of people uh, who are now responsible massively for escalating our test track and tracing operation. Uh, we now test I think more than virtually any other country in Europe and, it's got in the, and the rate of acceleration, the rate of increase has been very very sharp uh, indeed and we will go up to 200,000 uh, by the end of the month but he's absolutely right uh, that this should be entirely the success of this programme is absolutely vital if we're to be able to move on to the third uh, step, to the second and third steps of our, of our roadmap. We now go over to Yorkshire to Julian Smith. Julian Smith.
Mr Speaker, over 5,000 rough sleepers, 90% of the homeless population in the UK, are now in temporary accommodation as a result of action taken by the government at the start of this crisis. Uh, will the Prime Minister commit uh, to providing all funds necessary and all action needed to ensure that this positive uh, dealing with the homelessness crisis can be made permanent and each of these individuals can be given a long-term home? Minister. Well, uh, I thank my right honourable friend. As he knows, it is this government's ambition to end rough sleeping uh, by 2024. And it's, it's great to see the progress that has been made, uh, even in this very, very difficult time. As he says, 90% of rough sleepers are now uh, in accommodation or have been offered accommodation, Mr Speaker. And we will be investing uh, considerable sums to make sure that we build the housing and we address the social issues that tackle that problem for good. We go over to Sir Edward Davis. Sir Edward Davis. Can I thank the government for listening to representations from the Liberal Democrats and others to protect jobs by extending the furlough scheme yesterday? But will the government now do the same for the self-employed? People like cleaners, childminers, taxi drivers and hairdressers have all seen their incomes devastated and are only now able to apply for help for the past three months. But millions of these families now have no help in the future. So surely self-employed people must have their support extended too. Mister, I, I, I admire the uh, the honourable, uh, the right, right honourable gentleman. Uh, brilliant attempt to take the credit for from uh, my, my, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, uh, for his extension of the of the of the of the. Of the, of the the coronavirus job retention scheme, which I do believe has been one of the most extraordinary features of this country's, our collective response to the crisis. Uh, we are looking after, uh, he's right to, to draw attention to, to, the, to the, the position of the self-employed. Uh, we are making sure that they do get payments over three months of up to £7,500 as well. We go down to Wales to Dr Jamie Wallace. Dr Jamie Wallace. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <clears throat> May I congratulate the Prime Minister on being straight with the British people and spelling out a clear and cautious roadmap to lift the lockdown measures in England. Unfortunately, for my constituents in Bridgend, the Welsh Government has not set out any such plan or vision. Does he agree with me that the people of Wales deserve a government that is honest and clear with them about the road ahead? Prime Minister. Uh I thank my honourable friend very much, and I, I, I will agree with him that you know. But whatever the defects of the uh, of, of the Labour government in Wales, my experience is that actually we've been working uh, very well uh, together uh, across all four nations. We'll continue uh, to do so. And um, my, my my honest view is all those who uh, who talk about uh, confusion or, mi or mixed messages are grossly overstating the position. The common sense of the British people is shining through uh, this argument. They can see where we want to go. They can see where we need to go. We go to John Speller. John Speller. Prime Minister, at the end of March I asked you to help the, the uh, thousands of our people stranded abroad, notably in South Asia and especially in the Punjab. Grudgingly and much slower than other countries, the Foreign Office organised flights back, but there are many still stranded. Furthermore, the FCO now seems to be washing its hands of those with indefinite leave to remain, even though they may have lived and worked here for years and are husbands, wives, parents and grandparents of British citizens. Indeed, some have described this as another Windrush waiting to happen. So, Prime Minister, 
Will you sort this out? Mister. I thank the Right Honourable Gentleman. He actually nabbed me behind the Speaker's chair after he last uh, put it to me. I can tell him that we we estimate that 1.3 million uh, British nationals have now been uh, returned. I know he would like the the RAF to be be more involved, but I can also tell him that we've uh, put in £75 million to a charter arrangement uh, and a whole range of airlines have signed signed up to it, and we are doing everything we can to bring people back as fast as we can. Peter Bob. Um, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, the arrogant, incompetent and vindictive Electoral Commission suffered its final humiliation. For four long years, it has investigated and hounded four people from four different Leave organisations, making their lives and their families' lives hell. Last week, the police said they were totally innocent and had done nothing wrong. Prime Minister, for the sake of democracy, will you ensure that that politically corrupt, totally biased and morally bankrupt Quango is abolished? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I, 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 I hear what my as ever, what my honourable friend says uh, about the Electoral Commission. I think what I can say is that, uh, in so far of those uh, who were investigated, I hope that all those who spent so much time and energy and effort drawing attention to their supposed uh, guilt uh, will now spend as much time and energy and ink and airtime uh, drawing attention to their genuine innocence, Mr Speaker. Go across to David Linden, north of the border. David Linden. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As we moved into lockdown, some of Glasgow's vulnerable asylum seekers were moved from safe accommodation into city hotels where social distancing is harder to enforce. So it's clear that the Home Office is not currently doing enough to protect and look after those who seek refuge in our city. Will the Prime Minister urgently trigger a full Home Office review into the support being provided to asylum seekers and ensure that they work with key partners in the Council to make sure they're not left destitute once the lockdown is lifted? Minister. Uh, well, the Honourable Gentleman draws attention to a very, very important uh, issue. Uh, we will make sure that uh, nobody, let alone asylum seekers in this country, is, is ill-treated, and I will certainly be investigating uh, the matter that he refers to. Be happy to write to him. Down to Wales to Faye Jones. Faye Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Next week should have seen the beginning of the Hay on Wye Literary Festival, but as we are currently closed to visitors, Hay has shown true Welsh innovation by moving its festival online this year. Will the Prime Minister join me in thanking those tourist businesses who have acted in the national interest to protect public health and remind our visitors that once the Welsh Government publishes its exit plan, Brecon and Radnorshire will be able to welcome you back again very soon. Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, the wonderful festival at uh, Hay on Wye has had to be postponed uh, this year. Uh, I thank my uh, honourable friend for what she's doing to promote it and I congratulate uh, them, as, as she says, on their typical Welsh ingenuity in making it online, turning it into, into Hay on Wi-Fi, if I may say so, Mr Speaker. Stuart Halsey, we go across. Stuart Halsey. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Both Covid and Brexit is suppressing trade damaging jobs and the economy. And while we hope as COVID ends, global trade will bounce back, there's no guarantee that will happen quickly. The Prime Minister, though, could mitigate some of this damage by seeking an extension to the Brexit transitional period. Can he explain to the House why he's being so negligent in not seeking that transitional extension now? Minister. 
Mr. Speaker, I think one of the most remarkable things about, as I said actually to the right honourable gentleman, one of the most remarkable things about this crisis has been the way the whole country has come together to, to deal with it. And there's been a spirit of, of unity and, and sharing that I don't think we've seen for a very, a very long time. I think a lot of people in this country don't want to see the Brexit argument uh, reopened. They want to see it settled. They want to see it done. And that's what this government intends to do. Simon Baines, going across. Simon Baines. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The hospitality and tourism businesses of my constituency of Cluid South are vital for the health of its local economy, of which a very good example is the Llangollen Steam Railway. Would the Prime Minister join me in congratulating them on their current restructuring and fundraising campaign designed to see them through the coronavirus crisis? And after the crisis is over, would he please hop on board one of their steam trains when he is next in Llangollen? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I have a picture at home uh, of, uh, of myself and, uh, and William Haig uh, aboard the, the Clangothan uh, Steam Railway, I'm proud to say, and, uh, and I congratulate them on what they're doing uh, to, uh, to, to raise funds, and I've no doubt that they have a, a glorious future ahead uh, with his support. We go up to Neil Gray, North of the border. Neil Gray. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I have a number of cases where employers are refusing to furlough staff, either because they do not understand or are unwilling to follow the guidance. 17-year-old Ben Edgar has now found himself without a job or furlough support and is being classed as ineligible for Social Security because of his age. The employer is refusing to engage with my correspondence. So for cases like this, will the Prime Minister consider a furlough appeals process to assist employees, ex-employees and employers to ensure people are treated fairly according to the guidance to save unnecessary redundancies or hardship? Prime Minister. Um, I, I, I think he's making an excellent point. I'd be very happy. Uh, if you could send me details, uh, we'll be very happy to take up the case uh, that he describes. We go to Kate Griffiths. Kate Griffiths. Uh Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and uh, I thank my my honourable friend. Uh, I, I think I, I understood very clearly what she what she was saying. Uh, we will. We, it, it's obvious from the data that coronavirus, as I said earlier on, is falling disproportionately on on certain groups, not just the elderly. Uh, we need to examine exactly what is uh, what is happening. We need to protect all the most vulnerable groups and uh, we will take steps to ensure that uh, that NHS staff and others uh, are properly protected and advised and screened. Go down to Brighton with Caroline Lucas. Caroline Lucas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, climate experts reported that green economic recovery packages deliver far higher returns than conventional stimulus spending. And they also warned that how we emerge from this coronavirus crisis mustn't be in a way that deepens the climate and nature emergencies. Does the Prime Minister agree? And will he commit to action that will help us to build back better and start by committing that any airline queuing up for a taxpayer handout must be required to meet robust climate goals? Prime Minister. 
Um, well, I, I think probably the best and shortest answer I can uh, give to her is that we totally understand that uh, aviation, clearly, we, this, uh, inadvertently, the planet this year will have greatly re reduced its CO2 uh, emissions. Uh, but we, and she's absolutely right that we need to, to entrench those gains. I don't want us to see to go, us going back to a, an era of, uh, of the same type of emissions as we've had in the past. Uh, aviation, like every other sector, must keep its carbon lower, and we're certainly working on technological solutions to ensure that we can do that. We come to a final question. William Wright. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, join me in paying fulsome tribute to all the staff at Stepping Hill Hospital, particularly those caring for patients with COVID-19? Would he recognise that many uh, people have not been attending hospital as usual? So how will he be assisting hospitals like Stepping Hill ensure that my constituents can access health care as usual? Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Speaker, I think it's one of the most important features of the way this country, I thank my, my honourable friend, one of the most important features of the way this country responded to the epidemic, that we did protect the NHS. We maintained capacity in the NHS throughout. Nobody went without a ventilator. There was space in the ICUs uh, throughout the crisis. Uh, but we have a situation now, as he rightly says, when too many people are not going to, uh, to hospital or to the doctor to, to seek the, the treatment they need and deserve. And uh, I would certainly encourage people uh, with conditions that need medical treatment uh, to, to go and get that treatment now. And that will help us to reduce deaths uh, this year and, uh, and throughout the crisis.